You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. And I'm Kirsten Oates. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Turning to the Mystics. In this season, we're turning to the mystic Saint Teresa of Avila and looking at her wonderful book, The Interior Castle. I'm here with Jim, and we're excited to be talking about Mansion 4. I'm so excited to be talking to you today about the fourth mansion. As I was preparing, the questions were just flowing, and I'm just so excited to enter into this dialogue with you and learn more. Um, it's a it's a beautiful mansion and it's full of uh, content, like lots of lots of different ideas and and things to learn. So I wanted to start where she starts in chapter one, where she says, "Now is when we enter the realm of the supernatural." And I just wanted to start there and ask you, what does she mean by that? What's she talking about? Yes, I think for her, what she means is that. In the first three mansions, um, where our experience is still, it's in our experience of ourself and ego consciousness, illumined by faith. And uh, so it's, th- it's through faith that we are able to first hear that God's present in our life in a way that experientially becomes real to us. And we enter the mansion of our own soul. There's all those struggles. The struggle deepens and gets more pure in the second mansion, these these traumatic bondings we have to keep releasing from. And then it matures in the third mansion, psychological, spiritual maturity. So that's kind of mediated uh, grace concretized in the human experience on this earth, which is efficacious unto holiness. Now, so... There is this faith, the fullness of faith is love, and is filled with hope that when we die and pass through the veil of death, we'll pass into unmediated infinite union with the infinite life of God. We're destined to share in God's own life as perfectly as God shares in it, in our nothingness without God. So what the supernatural then is, is that God doesn't wait until we're dead to begin to give us tastes of an unmediated divinity flowing into the substance of our soul. And so this is not something then mediated through insight, belief, meditation, and reflection. This is an unexpected, intimate influx of the unexplainable presence of God poured into the very substance of our subjectivity. And she's she's calling that supernatural. Wow, I need to sit with that for a minute. <laughs> There's a lot in there. Yeah. Um, so this is a taste of uh, what we might experience on the other side of death. This, 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 which will be infinite, an infinite That's exactly union. Right. It's a, it's a foretaste of paradise. It's a foretaste mm. of paradise. And don't forget, this is how she began her book. That if we understand heaven is where God lives. 
And if God lives in the seventh interior mansion of your soul, your soul is God's heaven. But it's hidden mm. through these layers of attachments and so on. See? And so as these layers get purified in the first three, then what happens in the fourth is the layer of finiteness itself becomes translucent to the divine. See, instead of finite consciousness mm. of the infinite one with us, there is this influx where our subjectivity becomes translucent to this divine influx of communion with us as the very reality of our life. And, it's, and, and it's, it comes as kind of an intimate surprise that kind of happens to you while you're praying. And so what she's writing mm. for is to, because she knows this can be confusing, and because it's often mm -hmm. subtle, it can go on for quite some time even before you understand what's happening. And so to understand what's happening and how to cooperate with it, so you can go deeper mm. still. This is her. This is Teresa then as a as a turning to the mystics for guidance. This is now the mystic teacher, who's teaching us as we enter into this crossing over into this more unitive phases of the journey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is really the expertise of the mystic, that, that this, this dimension of it, it our is. existence. It, it is. I think for many people, and she would say this too, I think for many people graced in this way, they don't talk about it with anybody. You know, they, they find their way through prayer and through the scriptures in their life. They just quietly are this way. But Teresa is one of mm -hmm. these people who's also called then to help others find their way. And so we're listening. She's speaking out of her own experience because she knows because this is what happened to her. And as a contemplative spiritual director, she's helped people find their way. And so she's writing this down so she can help us find our way. And that, that's, this, that's our link then to the lineage, the mystical lineage through Teresa. And just hearing you describe where we're, where we're at in her journey this this turning to the supernatural, um, it's really, this is at the heart of the mystery of who we are and what it means to be a human being. And we're kind of right on that tipping point of the mystery of ourselves. That's, that's true. And I, I want to say it now in a way that she tends not to say it, but I want to say it poetically to make the point. That, that who we are, the mystery of who we are does not begin with our emergence on the earthly plane on this earth. Rather, who we ultimately are is who we are hidden with Christ and God before the origins of the universe. That God, that God is Father, God is Mother, God is origin, is, is expressing himself, expressing himself as the Word, contemplates himself in the Word, and then contemplates you in the Word, as the as a capacity for God, as the capacity, and that's your identity. Mm. So, in a way, you're starting to join God in knowing who God knows you to be before the origins of the universe, as the actualization of wow. a fulfillment, like this. So, this is uh, yeah, wonderful. So, I am a capacity for God at one in one way, and and that's what we'll be exactly. learning about. That's our in destiny. Mansion. Or Kapak mm. The way Dan Walsh used to say it at the monastery is that, uh, following Duns Scotus, he would say, imagine you have a glass and you fill it up with water and you keep pouring the water and the water's overflowing. There's no more water in the, it's overflowing. 
Likewise, there's no capacity for love in God because God is love. So God creates the capacity to receive the infinite love that God is and that's you. God creates a Kapax day. And you experience it in the first three mansions mediated through inspirations, through consolations, through aspirations. And now this is the first stirring of unmediated flow of this love transforming us into itself. And this is what's starting to happen in the fourth mansion. And then she starts giving very practical, experiential ways to discern that this is happening to us and how to cooperate with it. In chapter one, she talks about uh, the poisonous creatures that she mentioned in the previous uh, mansions. And she says, poisonous creatures rarely enter these dwellings. But then she goes on to say, it is helpful to have some of them around, launching a few battles in the soul. If there were no temptations, the spirit of evil could more easily slip in and deceive the soul about the spiritual delights she is being given by yeah. God. Here's a good example, and she's going to do this all the way through the fourth, all the way through. This is her pastoral wisdom, I think. So let's say again these 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 reptiles, these uh, what does she call them here in this poisonous, poisonous creatures. creatures. <laughs> let's say they're, they're, the, they're the, 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 the internalized forces that compromise and violate our destiny and love. So in the first mansion, a lot of that goes on. The second mansion, it gets deeper. You meet it in its origins. You work it through. Mm-hmm. And then the third mansion kind of stabilizes. It's less so. You're more grounded in the love and the commitment, walking the walk kind of thing. So when you start crossing over into this state, there's even less of it around because the love that this, this state of uh, sustained attentiveness infused with love, this communion in love, becomes so atmospherically present, there's even less of those things roaming around. But she's saying it wouldn't be good for us <laughs> if there weren't any, because we would rest on mm. our laurels. And also we'd be satisfied mm. there, like we thought we had arrived. But uh, there's, we're, we're only in the fourth mansion, we've got several more to go. <laughs> like it's it's, yeah. <laughs> it's eternal, and therefore these struggles mm-hmm. that we have, where we we get upset or lose our temper, or we get discouraged, we get overwhelmed. These are good for us, you know, because they, they remind us we're just a human being, and uh, we're not exempt from the human condition, and we're, there's a kind of humility, the willingness to walk with our limitations and stress, and everyone's everyone's working with some darn thing. She's but if we let it, they become our teachers. You know, they help us hand it over to God, accept ourselves as we are, that kind of thing. Mm. We, we learn to do for ourselves what we hope yeah, to we, do yeah, for others. We learn to do for ourselves with God's grace, who empowers. Mm. And God does it for us by transforming us in this love, that there's heightened mm. capacities to be spaciously present in love that's qualitatively richer than what we were capable of before. And we can see the change mm-hmm. that's happening. And we can be more that way with others. She says, uh, although generally a person must have lingered long in the previous dwellings before entering this one, there are no rules about that. Yes, I think, like with me, for example, and uh, when I went to the monastery, uh, it was in the monastery, I was 19 years old, is when I got my first kind of massive experience of this, when I was 18. Mm-hmm. 
So it, it, sometimes when quite young, we're granted a gift we spend the rest of our life learning to be faithful to. But if you're given the gift when you're still young, where you still have unfinished business, then in the taste of that gift, you still have to do your homework to bring your physiology and psychology into alignment with the love that awakened you. See? And, um, mm. and so it comes as it comes, it's given to whom it's given. You know? And so this is where we are. And to some degree then, you and I and everyone listening to this, the insofar as this rings true to us at all, bears witness that in some degree we've already been given it. Because we haven't been given it, we wouldn't be drawn to it. And um, Thomas Merton says somewhere, the very fact you're seeking God means you've already found God. Or deeper still, God's already found you. Mm. Or you would be seeking God. And so it's in that tone, I think. We just, we, we're on this path. Mm -hmm. And here we are listening to Teresa help us get our bearings. You know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She talks about the difference between spiritual sweetness and consolations in prayer. And the, when she talks about spiritual sweetness, Jim, is this the shift? Yes. She's talking about the ways. Yeah, yeah this is the first shift. She, so she's starting to say, uh, how do we move um, this into experiential terms? Because she's talking about really discerning the nature of what's happening to you when you pray. And sometimes it happens to you when you're not praying. But let's say it happens in prayer. And this is the first thing she's saying. And different translations use different words, cancellation, sweetness. But sweetness refers in the first three mansions to, to the, experience, the, the experience of an inner warmth of the presence of God. Like there's a certain sweetness in the beauty of our faith, in the beauty of Christ, in the beauty of love. There's a sweetness. But really it's a kind of a graced... Uh, illumination of our nature. She even says that when we're, and a lot of it is the effect of our own virtue. It's the effect of our own God-given virtue. And uh, it, it's like that. She says, but what starts to happen with consolation is you're, you're sitting there and this, this influx of God's love starts flowing into you. And she says, you realize your heart is being enlarged to divine proportions. Later, she's going to use the imagery of water. And she's so, she's imagine a basin filling up with water and it overflows. That's the first three mansions. But what if your heart is the basin flowing with water? And instead of overflowing, the basin keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so you realize the infinite love flowing into you is transforming your heart into the infinite proportions of itself. And so your very subjectivity is being metamorphosized in love. And that's the intimacy of the experience. I want to read this section. Um, she says, one of the things I'm trying to say is that uh, earthly satisfactions spring from our own nature and end in God. Spiritual sweetness begins in God and makes its way into our human nature where we delight in it far more than we enjoy the That's worldly right. kind of gratification. So let's say ultimately everything is from God. But then assuming that everything is from God, here we are in our nature. And so, um, 
the, the Pierce translation uses sweetness for these psychological experiences and consolations for the mystical. I think Mirabai's star I uses see. sweetness for the mystical, which is and, what and, I'm uh, using. And and yes. uh, okay, good. Yeah, I was getting and, confused and, uh, there. Another translation does another how they use these words. Yes, so it's good to cover. Okay, so uh, I'm, I'm going to use Pierre's word for for sweetness. Uh, her, uh, okay, yeah, is that the the sweetness that I feel in prayer and the sweetness that I feel in loving and being loved by others is a sweetness that begins in me in my desire to live in fidelity to love. See, all things considered, what's the most loving thing I can do right now? For myself, this person, this community, this form of service that I'm called to, that's the most loving way. And so it begins in me and reaches out to God. See, I aspire and I strive to God by, by moving along this path. But this, this consolation begins in God. It flows into us. It has a certain uh, boundaryless quality about it that, that overflows the banks of anything that I could be attributed to as its cause. Hence the feeling of amazement. It's like something amazing is happening to this influx of this love. Thank you for clarifying that. And I should say I am using Mirabai's version, the interior castle, and you've got Pierre's And Kevin and Rodriguez, they have their own translation. And if you're going to say like doing serious Bible study, you could lay out all three translations if you don't know the Spanish and do text cross where you could kind of, but I think each one of them in their own way is internally consistent with how they use it, and that's why mm -hmm. it works. It's fine. Yeah. With what's happening, they're consistent about what's happening, but they're using yeah. different. In, in other words, what, what's happening here, and this is the beginning of the mystical, what's happening is something amazing is happening to me, and it's not coming from me. Nor is it anything mm. that I could possibly be explained in terms of my efforts to reach it. And even though I could no way be the one who's making this happen, it's happening anyway. So something's happening to me that doesn't have its origins in my efforts, desires. It's, it's like that. I'm being kind of overtaken, a coup d'etat in love in a way. She talks about an instance of that happening to her and she says, it was driving me crazy to see the faculties of my soul calmly absorbed in remembrance of God while my thoughts, on the other hand, were wildly agitated. This is the next distinction that she makes. She says, and don't forget at the fourth mansion here, we're still at the cusp between two worlds. We're still in the third mansion, where we're crossing over into the mystical. So she says, what happens, which is characteristic of this mansion. So she says, thought tends to move very fast. Understanding comes very slow. As a matter of fact, she uses the word meek. It's very meek. Furthermore, she talks about a deeper way to understand what it means to understand because the understanding is grounded in love. So at one level, you're sitting there kind of quietly resting in this influx of this love pouring into you. And at the same time, up here in your thoughts, one translation says like a clanking mill, clack, clack, clackety, clack, clackety, clack. Your thoughts are going on up here, but you don't, <laughs> Let that pull you away. You notice that it's happening. But the essence of what's happening isn't found in that. It's found in the quietness of an understanding. And this deepened understanding, what it means to understand, in this love that's flowing into you. Like that. So she, that's the experience.
Mm-hmm. So the thoughts don't completely stop. It was not necessary that the thoughts completely stop. That's right. This now, experience. later on, they will stop. With the fifth mansion, they stop. And even here, they momentarily stop. There's like a hiatus in thinking. You're just resting. She says, the time comes to think less and love more. She says, we need to know more than we think. And we need to know what's given in the understanding established in love. So this is the language where she starts shifting qualitatively um, into this mode. But then her very writing shows, then you can think about that. Because that's her book. See, it has a certain pastoral (laughs) order to it. There's a certain uh, pragmatic guidance. You can recognize patterns, how to be faithful to it, how to move. That's the artistry of, uh, of it all. Yeah. This is uh, reminding me of something I did want to ask you at the beginning. Because she says, uh, as she did, writes the f- um, fourth mansion, uh, that she, she pauses to surrender herself again to the Holy Spirit. Um, that From this point on, he can take over and speak for me. And uh, it made me wonder, Jim, just how you get into a, a space of being able to talk about these things. Well, first of all, I, I want to give you an example where I think everybody has a taste of it. The example that I use is imagine there's someone you care about a lot. And imagine they're struggling with something, really at their wit's end. And as they struggle, out of your love for them, you say something. And what you say helps. And you don't know how you knew how to say that. It's, it's very much like that. See, it's almost like something given mm-hmm. out of love. And mm-hmm. you were, it was more flowing through you than from you. And you were channeling mm-hmm. mercy like this. So how I, mm-hmm. for me, how I feel it when I talk like this, I feel, uh, I feel it's a kind of a... It's a kind of a, a it's kind of an openness to um, how I feel it is. It's kind of a it's like getting out of the way, and kind of an openness to a flow of words that just come flowing out all by themselves. That's what it what it feels like mm. to me. You know? But I also mm. feel that I'm, they flow all by themselves. But I'm as I'm watching it, I'm discerning that they're true to the spirit of the tradition itself. That is, it's, it's, in, it's mm-hmm. infidelity to the lineage being embodied in the exchange, but it just happens by itself. And what helps me mm-hmm. do it is the sincerity of the one asking the question, like the questions you're asking me. It's the, your presence mm-hmm. and representative or the people listening to these questions. This then makes it a channeling into the sincerity of the question. Which also is much, mm. the very fact the seeker is asking such a question is itself a gift from God. Because without God's grace, we're not able to ask questions like this. Turning to the mystics will continue in a moment. Jim, thank you for sharing your own personal experience. That's really helpful. Uh, and I'm sure we'll come back to that. I, I wanted to ask you, um, there's a couple of terms used in the book and um, I just wanted you to help us understand them. So Teresa talks about two types of prayer in the fourth mansion. She talks about uh, the prayer of recollection 
and then that comes before the prayer of quiet. Yes, here, here's the sense of it, I think, that in the first three mansions, when we pray, and again, the translations use different words for it, but this is the meaning of that word. In the first three mansions, we sit and begin with Lexio Divina, we take a text, which God speaks to us, say a word of Jesus in the gospel. Then we engage in a loving dialogue with God. And she says, if God speaks to you and that speaks to your heart, then when you talk to God, imagine you're leaning in real close and whispering in God's ear. And God's infinitely interested in everything you say and understands it infinitely more than you do. Then you listen, and then God speaks to you again out of that exchange, which gives rise also to this deepening of this desire and the will to deepen this union. And that takes place to the faculties of the soul, where you're thinking, reflecting, and desiring, transformed by grace. She's saying as you pray that way and then live that way, the prayer of quiet is what can start to happen to you in the midst of praying that way. And instead of you then sitting there with, with in the fourth mansion, she says, if comparing God's grace to water, whereas before it seems you were crying out to God from afar, like help me, and it required effort, namely effort in meditation practice. You have to, it takes an effort to do it. She says, now what starts to happen in the quiet is if the, the, the flow of grace comes without effort. There's no effort. And also, it's not coming from afar, but from some sudden pla hidden place inside of you. And it's coming from some sudden place inside of you without effort that's, that's um, it's metamorphosizing your soul to the divine proportions of, the, of this grace flowing into you. And, and, that's the, and in that, you're quieted. See, like the rains fall from your hands. You're kind of... And matter of fact, she says... If you're in the middle of a meditation and this influx of love starts, always give priority to the influx of love. Don't tell God, I'll get to you as soon as I finish my deep insight. You know, you're, like you're journaling or something. <laughs> she says, as soon as it arises, mm -hmm. learn to be supple or learn to be kind of open to, the, to the, the fluctuations of this influx and go with it. Then when it subsides again, return mm -hmm. to your meditation. She's always, you're always going back and forth. That kind of thing. Oh, yeah. wow. I have so many <laughs> questions. <laughs> um, the first one, she says uh, the way we might know if that's happening to us, the prayer, the prayer of quiet, is if you are, um, the way you will know if you are humble is that you will not, that, that when, the, when the beloved grants this blessing, remember humility, humility. This is how the beloved allows himself to be conquered and will do anything you want. The way you will know if you are humble is that you will not believe that you have earned these mercies and blessings from the beloved, nor that you will ever have them in your whole life. So there's something just aligned to what you were saying about um, this is done to us without effort. You know that. Yes. And and more out of humility. I want, I want to use an example in a human contrast? life. Let's say what happens to someone who realizes they're, they're beginning to fall deeply in love with someone who's falling in love with them. 
and they didn't see it coming. You know, they didn't see it coming. And uh, they feel amazed by it, grateful, and they're humbled in that they know it can't be explained in terms of their efforts to have fabricated it or have made it happen. Like you, mm. It's a humble acceptance of, of a grace transformative experience in love. And it, mm. the, so you're, you're humbled in that in the midst of all your limitations and all the rest of it, that this is actually starting to happen to you. And then it's humility that, that uh, allows God to be, we conquer, God freely allows himself to be conquered by our humility. So then when we assent to God's advances in love, in that humility of surrendering ourselves over, like I'm not in charge here, you know, this love that flowing into me, transforming me, is uh, taking me to places I don't, I've not known before. And uh, it's kind of, I think mm. that's the feeling of it, I think. I can feel the tension inside myself around what you're saying because I long for that kind of experience with God and yet I'm being told the way to get to it is to not strive, to not right. put in effort. No, I think that's exactly right. But see, uh, this, this is why this is the way she talks. We're really at a point of spiritual direction. Let's say in hearing this, we're drawn to it because it's beautiful. Like, I want this, which is a gift. Well, then she's telling us not to strive. And I think <laughs> yes. what she's really saying is what you're doing is tempering your tendencies that somehow you can make this happen. That is, you've been mm. touched by something without which you know your life will be forever incomplete. And by your own powers, you're powerless to consummate it. And this is where you mm. sit in the presence of God. So you sit because God's the author mm. of this desire. And this desire for God is an echo of God's infinite desire for you. And so you're sitting there in this place of kind of a reverential, humble boldness of being openly attentive to what's happening to you. And and then and it it, it goes in the rhythms of that. Mm-hmm. And really this is Faith, is, what, yeah. what you're describing, this sounds to it, me it, like faith. Talks, it's, yes, it's, it's charity to us. And it was this knowing in faith, but also the faith is a knowing of this love. It's, it's understanding the, 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 the science of love and then the artistry of love. See, the, I, I'm, I'm learning here the first mm-hmm. principles of this love. But what's the artistry see, in which it can be actualized in me, in my prayer? So she's... If she were talking to us in spiritual direction, she'd have us talk to us a little more about what this is like for us, and she would listen to us and mm-hmm. dialogue with us, and and uh, you know, like that. I think. Mm-hmm. There's a, a couple of things she says here that I'd love you to expand on, Jim. One is um, she says the trouble is that since we think all we have to do is concentrate our thoughts on you, we can't even conceive of how to ask the ones who know the truth about this or comprehend how to frame the question in the first place. But yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, here's how I put it. Uh, uh, like, uh, well, I put it, it's back in the good old days when we were so holy, it was so clear. But now, not only do I n- not know the answer, I don't even understand the, qu- I don't know how to put the question. See, mm. I'm like beyond myself, 
and precisely because it's so subtle, you know, it's so it's so delicate, it's so, and I'm right in the midst of it. So how we, we tell God, I need your help, see, to um, help me find my way along, and then she then is helping us to cooperate with God in this kind of this. It's an attitudinal stance in surrendering and being transformed in this love. Yeah. And don't forget, this is personal, this fourth mansion, this this fourth mansion might go on for several years. You know, it's a way of life. You don't like click this off, let's get on to the fifth one. I'm busy. You know, like <laughs> I got other things to get to. You can spend your whole life in the fourth mansion and live an amazing life. You know, it's a it's a gift. So we're really talking about what happens when we sit and get very attentive and our heart opens up, and then we notice this starts. And then it starts spilling over. See, some people, suddenly they're in the fourth mansion, and they don't even know they got into it. Like you're out in the middle of doing chores, and you're in fourth mansion consciousness of the chores, that this is all love, this is all. So it's, it's more along those lines, mm. I think, yeah. to me, I think. Mm -hmm. And we can take comfort in those experiences that we have had, that well, we, yeah. the gifts... I know you've used examples, you know, we might this might happen out Anywhere. in nature. That's what I was when we're with right. our children. It comes as it comes. With exactly. All these are modalities. Or outside of prayer. This will become later in the sixth mansion too. Getting more the the things that start to happen in prayer start happening to us when we wake up in the morning. You know, or start happening to us when someone stops to ask us a question. It starts becoming more pervasively atmospheric through everything. So we can look back to these little moments where the, there were little touchstones. And some of them didn't start in prayer at all. Like she said, first mansion, you know, that started in you, you fall in love or you lose love or you struggle and something serendipitously started sending you in this direction. And you learn to be grateful for that because now you know what God knows where all this was headed. And at the time you didn't know that and uh, how mysterious God's ways are, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. She says, uh, we suffer terrible trials because this was following on from, um, we don't yeah. know how to ask the question. And then she says, we suffer terrible trials because we do not understand ourselves. We worry about things that we think are bad, but which it's, are it's, actually it, good. It's, it's like this, I think. This is what I think it means. Let's say, first of all, there are things we happen or we think are bad and they are bad because they're destructive and they're mm. hurtful and they're threatening. But sometimes what happens is that we think something's bad because we're stuck. You know? We think something's bad because a certain habit we're trying to get past is still there. Or something's bad because this person said something to us in a way. And really, maybe it isn't bad. Maybe you're being invited, like despair or go deeper. Despair or go deeper. And it wasn't mm -hmm. bad, it was an invitational. Uh, opening into a deeper place. And the inverse is true, she says somewhere else. You can think something's good because it matches up with your wishes. But if your wishes keep getting fulfilled, it cuts short what we're talking about. So this is this new kind of, kind of habituated way that we discern things in the light of this love. We discern the events of our life in the light of this love and not by the criteria 
of how they how we perceive it in ego consciousness, but how are, how we're being transformed in love's ways, and how do we conduct ourselves? There's a beautiful section where she talks about uh, the the shepherd's call growing so growing powerful um, that that the ties that had bound the faculties to external things and est- estrange them from him unravel and they enter the castle. Yes. I want to give an image of this. That is a beautiful thing with it, like the shepherd's whistle or the shepherd's call. And the sheep, no, the call, they recognize mm-hmm. the shepherd, like the good shepherd. Imagine, mm-hmm. um, uh, let's, say someone, let's say imagine someone's deeply in love with someone. And imagine that the beloved they imagine is uh, somewhere far off. But imagine the beloved, the person is deeply in love with. Imagine you hear the beloved is actually right there. And the beloved whispers your name. And you know the beloved's voice. So you're sitting there in Mm. prayer. And um, it isn't just that God's speaking to you through the text. But you're actually hearing the tonal quality of God's voice personally talking to your heart. It's like that. It's like a new Mm. intimacy with the unmediated sense of the beloved's voice starting to address you. And something in you, your heart quickens. You know, something in you, Mm. like you recognize it. And yet when you turn to grasp it, you can't grasp it. And that's the quiet. Mm. See, that's where the quiet comes in you can't you can't it's not for the having so jim just trying to get a sense of this in myself so in the first three mansions uh i have faith in god i i pray to god i talk to god i hear god in the scripture i hear god in other people's you know you're at church and the sermon sounded like it was meant for you you hear something for you from this from the sermon but um, when you're describing the shepherd, there's something much more personal, and in a way, it's the um, the the confirmation of my faith. There's a moment of confirmation mm-hmm. that God is real with me, attentive yes. to me. I think is it is like, like that? that. That's one way to put it. Is that I'm 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 going along in these modalities. And all of a sudden, there's an unexpected sense of the of the 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 infinite love of God is personally speaking in my heart. That allows me to experience the the tonal quality of God's own voice. See, see, being revealed to me in love in the interiority of my heart, mm-hmm. like an echo or a taste mm-hmm. of something. So when it's actually mm-hmm. happening, it, it's too it's too uh, self-evident to doubt, and it's too deep to comprehend. And this is what she's really saying. Thomas Merton is saying this too: is 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 not to play the cynic, not to doubt this, mm-hmm. to have a kind of a childlike of uh, acceptance of what your own awakening heart knows is true, but it can't explain like that. Yeah. And uh, what you're also describing about that is it's almost like a, a, a deepening of our own interior experience 
of ourselves and God, like a place where we meet that we didn't necessarily have access yes, to. Yes, because or... what it does, I think, this, this, these are the kind of things she looks at. Let's look on this moment of union as a kind of, as being somehow incandescent with an unseen light. I want to use that image. And that moment illumines every detail of your life. That as you start to see every aspect of your life in this unseen light of this union, or you hear the intonations of God's voice speaking to you in the rhythms and cadences of the people who are interacting with you, you start to see everything in, within the context of this divine voice that's fluctuating through mm. these mediated presences, but now you're in the kind of like the primal purity of the voice of God speaking, unmediated way, to, but mediated through all those things. That makes sense, yeah. Yes, is this what you meant earlier when you were saying there's a there's a new way of understanding right. that that what it means exactly to understand. Right. Then, and this understanding then. So let's say, let's say she says this. So let's say th there's thought. Then let's say there's this touch, you hear the master's voice. The master's voice produces a sense of quiet. That is, all of a sudden you pause because you don't want to make any noise that would disrupt the quietness of the voice. And then in that quiet, which is really the cessation of the faculties of the soul, so the thought falls into the background, questions fall into the background, all that falls into the background. And then in that attentiveness, she says then, is a state of absorption. And absorption is, a, is, a, is a, a state of kind of quiet fascination, like you're mesmerized. It's almost like what happens when you're in the midst of a beautiful sunset, where you see people in an art museum mm -hmm. before a work of art. You're kind of poised in an attentiveness, which she said, which isn't union, but it's a heightened accessibility of God to your heart. She said we need to be very careful not to seek uh, absorption on purpose because you can get attached to it because it could be a refined sense mm -hmm. of ego. But to see really as a harbinger of an accessibility to a yet deeper influx of transformation that's to occur in the fifth mansion. So Jim, how, how does she guide us in this fourth mansion? What, what, is, what is she telling us that we should do differently or we could do differently in our day-to-day -day Well, I think, I think if, if she was with us here, I think she would listen to us first about who we are. So don't forget, this is, she was a cloistered nun in the 16th century. Mm -hmm. She didn't, you know, live in Marina del Rey, California, where, uh, you know, she, she wasn't out here in the middle of leaf blowers out in the yard and, you know, her, her cell phone rang <laughs> and just moved her right back. Yeah. To, she, she, so, so we have to adapt uh, on how she listened to us first, and you would help us tune into how this is happening. And I would, I'd put it this way: this, there's some ways of this. She, I think she would kind of assume, and, and it happens outside in other contexts, to other all traditions. It happens through our life, but in her sense, that in our faith, we're drawn to a daily quiet time, like a rendezvous with God. And in that rendezvous with God, we're sincere, and we're humble, and we're attentive in the hearing of the word, the dialogue, the desire, like this. And when the prayer ends, you ask God for the grace not to break the thread of that attentiveness as you go through the day. You come back the next day, you reestablish the rendezvous. 
And then what will happen when you're sitting there like that, like that, she says, what starts to happen to some people is this starts to happen. Mm. That all of a sudden, in reading where Jesus says, fear not, all of a sudden, it just isn't the deathless presence of Jesus speaking to you in the words in the scripture, fear not. But in some way you can't understand the deathless presence of Jesus is telling you not to be afraid directly. It's the Lord's mm. voice mm. heard inside of you. And she says, I'm talking about what these subtle transformations. So the prayer then isn't a method. The method is a kind of an obediential fidelity to these subtle stirrings of learning how to surrender to them, discern them, lean into them, walk with them, and see what God has in mind. Like that. So when you mm -hmm. read her text, you get once she reveals to us what's possible, she says this really does happen. And it helps you to discern that maybe, without recognizing it, it's already started to happen to you. And how can I learn to have faith in it, learn to live by it, and walk by it? And, and I, I would think that it's like that. Mm -hmm. So Jim, um, I'm just wondering, for those of us that are drawn to this, are listening to what you say, that we, that we want to go deeper into these mansions, and we're being told it's about surrender, it's about um, not making an effort, and it's, it's just I can feel my own human tendency to make a lot of effort to not make an effort or to <laughs> to uh, want to surrender really make an effort to surrender so that I might attain this. Yeah, and yeah. how do we handle that? Just that? like there's a deeper way to understand what it means to understand, there's also <clears throat> a deeper way to understand the nature of effort. <clears throat> and I want to use an example, too. The way I put it is say, just as, <clears throat> just as lovers cannot make their moments of oceanic oneness happen, they can assume the inner stance that offers the least resistance to oceanic oneness of love happening. Just as the poet cannot make the poem happen, the poet can assume the stance that offers the least resistance to the gift of poetry occurring. Just as the artist cannot make the beauty come out on the paper, or whatever, but the artist can assume that stance that allows it. So actually, if you really look, another way of looking at it, this takes great effort. Buddhists would call it right effort, mm. meaning effective effort. It's the paradoxical effort of a, of a kind of a unforced determination to, to be faithful with all your heart to what's touched you. It matters very, very much but you can't make it happen. And when you find yourself slipping and the zeal kicks in, like, I'm going to get this, I think Teresa would say this, it's like, I'll mm -hmm. be God talking. You catch yourself doing this. Uh, you know, it's, I'm, I'm really impressed by your zeal. You know, really, it touches me, actually. <laughs> uh, but um, as, as you well know, zeal and that frequency... Uh, being finite doesn't access the infinite union you're seeking. And therefore, mm. you know that. You know that it doesn't hurt anything. I mean, go for it. Because as the zeal will wind <laughs> down all by itself. There's something sincere about it. But it keeps settling back into the humility. 
you don't have to try so hard because we're now we're talking about what I'm achieving in you, which is myself. Not what you can achieve. Because what you can achieve by your own efforts is just more of yourself. We all know how that works. So, so but if you, <laughs> if you give yourself to me so that I can achieve in you, and so your zeal is an important, because in, in this love that's growing between us, your very zeal's been, being metamorphosized. All by yourself, you don't have mm. to worry about it. You just whenever you catch yourself, take a deep breath, lean back into the surrender, and that's a kind of a paradoxical activity of a certain. He's looked on his servant in her nothingness. Henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. It's that kind of. That's the way I think. Because there's nothing half-hearted mm. about her. You know, you get the feeling if you'd sit with her, she's really talking about something that she's committed her whole life to. You know. She's she's ardent, in that. Mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. uh, to me those kind of distinctions help me about zeal, and and the refinement mm -hmm. of zeal through love. Well, Jim, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom on the fourth mansion with us. Um, it's very inspiring it and is. beautiful, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Just to reminds talk about me again this whole like turning to the mystics. How, how grateful they, we are that God raises up people like this. And, and over the centuries, they still mm -hmm. speak to us. You know what I mean? We can, now it's our turn to respond to this. And it's kind of, it's amazing. Good. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Center for Action and Contemplation. Please consider rating it, writing a review, or sharing it with a friend who might be interested in learning and practicing with this online community. To learn more about the work of James Finley, please visit jamesfinley.org. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.